Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, everybody. I'm John DiCarlo. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 1, our very first episode of the Believe in Temple Football podcast. Uh, I'm the editor of AlScoop.com. It's the website in the Yahoo Sports and Rivals Network that covers Temple football, Temple basketball, Temple recruiting. I'm still going to be doing our podcast, The Scoop, over on AlScoop, so you can continue to listen to us there. But a few weeks ago, I was approached by Drake Irvine uh, with the Believe Network uh, with the opportunity to do this podcast, and I couldn't pass it up because my co-host was going to be none other than one of the most popular owls of all time, Adam DeMichael, who's really been, and I don't say this uh, to exaggerate, but really kind of one of the people who you would think of as the soul of the program, one of the people who was a terrific, terrific high school football player in Western Pennsylvania in the Whippeal Hall of Fame. Uh, I'll ask Adam in a second if people still call it the Whippeal out there, if I should say W-P-I-A-L. But Adam was one of the guys who helped orchestrate the turnaround of the Temple football program. And he is with me today as my co-host and is going to be with me for as long as we're doing this podcast, Adam, uh, good to talk to you, man. How you doing? Hey, hey, John, always well, man. I'm uh, extremely thankful and excited to get this podcast going. As you know, and as I'm sure some of the listeners may know, um, I stepped away from Temple for a little while, about a few few weeks ago, maybe uh, going on two months now. But having the opportunity to, to continue to talk about Temple football, a place that, as you guys know, I played. I graduated 2009. So I played three seasons there, and I had the opportunity to coach for almost 10. It's exciting. Um, it almost feels like I'm still there to an extent, being able to go back and watch the games. So I know I'm fired up. I know you're excited with all the knowledge that you bring, still being at Temple right now um, while I'm back here in Pittsburgh. But I know this will be exciting, and uh, hopefully it will be exciting for our listeners. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So again, I've, I've been covering the program for more than 20 years. And again, who better to talk to to bring you guys – uh, insight than someone who who played the most important position on the field, helped turn the, the program around. And Adam, as he just told you there, uh, no more than a couple months ago, uh, you know, left the program. I was the director of player personnel. He's been the wide receivers coach, he's been a quarterbacks coach. Uh, if you read about the quarterbacks he's coached, whether it's Frank Newtile or of course, PJ Walker, who's now Matt Rule's backup with the Carolina Panthers. So many guys have sung Adam's praises. And so Adam's a guy who's really going to be able to give you a real look into this Temple football program. They're three and three at the halfway mark of the season. They lost 52 to three, not a great game by any means. They lost to a, a very good Cincinnati team that was ranked fifth in the country. Now they're ranked third. Later in this podcast, we will get to the Owls upcoming matchup against USF. A uh, chance for Temple to get back in the win column after a bye week. But before we break down that game and get into what's ahead, I figured with this first episode, I want all of you guys, whether you're uh, listeners who have listened to me on the scoop or whether we have some new listeners, I, I want you guys to hear more from our co-host, Adam. And again, I think if you're a Temple football program, you, uh, if you're a Temple football fan, excuse me, you know who Adam is. Again, he's one of the most identifiable owls. You know, you see some number 13 jerseys in Lot K to this day. If you go and walk around the tailgate before a game. And uh, Adam's got such a great story as to how he ended up at Temple. So with this first episode, the majority of this first episode, I want you guys to hear a lot from Adam and and just his background because he's got a great life story. And I think you guys will gain a real appreciation for just how much he's going to bring to this podcast. So um, Adam, just for for the start, again, you mentioned that you you left, uh, left the staff. Sure, it wasn't an easy decision for you. Can you just talk our listeners through why the decision to to leave? You've been coaching for a long time. Again, I'm sure it wasn't an easy decision. Uh, you, you're working with your family to start up the Michael Brothers performance. You're training some guys out there. We'll get to that in a second. But talk us through the decision to leave and 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 be back home close to your family. I'm sure it wasn't an easy decision. Yeah, I mean, you hit it. I mean, hit the nail right on the head, John. Um, probably in my uh, you know 36 years of living right now, it's probably one of the hardest decisions I had to make. And I say that because obviously there's a lot more things that are more difficult than going leaving a job and doing something different. But 
for me to leave a place that was home, um, a place where, you know, I got to you know meet my wife, meet some of my best friends and, you know, enjoy college um, and play football at a high level was extremely difficult. And just leaving those players was probably the hardest part. But um, professionally, I feel it was um, the, 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 the best situation for me. Um, you know, it was time to get my family closer to my family here in Pittsburgh. I got two young boys, as you know, and I got, got to spend a lot of time with them and my wife, more time than ever before, you know, once COVID hit and mm-hmm. you know, things were a little different. We, we were backed up at work, you know, weren't heading in the office. So I kind of got to be a dad for the first time. You know what I mean? My boys are young, but I got to be around them a little more, John. I think that was a, a, a big deal for me. And then, um, you know, obviously, as, as you know, uh, the, the professional side of things for me and how things have been going, it's kind of been a little bit of a roller coaster. And I say that because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm able to coach kids and help make an impact. And, you know, that's what's most important to me. So, you know, I've, I've been on the field. I've been off the field. I've been on the field. I've been off the field. I've done recruiting, like you mentioned. I've coached quarterbacks, receivers. I've done a little bit of everything and, you know, kind of dipped into a little, dipped and dabbled into everything. So for me to, you know, go ahead and step away, it was, um, you know, it was a family decision. But like I said, I think at the end of the day, it was the best decision for me professionally. And um, this, this kind of the Michael Brothers performance that you talked about has been a dream of my brothers and myself for, you know, as long as I can remember, probably since I graduated high school, we always said we wanted to get into training some kids in our area and trying to find a way to make an impact. So you know, that's kind of the short version of it. You know, there's some other things that went into it, but um, just again, professionally, it was the right time for me to step away and move on to the next phase of my life. Tell us about what you're doing now with the Michael Brothers performance, the, the chance to, to, to work with your family, train some guys out there. I know it's a, it's a relatively new thing and you're building it up, but uh, tell our listeners about it and what goes into it. Yeah, so it's um the Michael Brothers performance. Obviously, I'm one of seven kids in my house. So I've got four brothers and two sisters, obviously. So then you're talking about I got three younger brothers who all played football. And then I have an older brother that also played football and two older sisters. So, I mean, if you look at what, you know, what we're aiming to do, um, the Michael Brothers performance aims to positively impact young men as they pursue lifelong dreams of the game of football. And basically our goal, John, and, you know, listeners out there is to, you know, better the Pittsburgh community one student athlete at a time. And just again, you'll continue to see me tweet and talk about finding ways to impact young lives through the game of football that brought you know so much to my family. Um, so again, me personally, I can coach quarterbacks and I can coach receivers, and um, you know I can do a couple of different skill things. And I have you know my younger brother Alex, who was a, a All American at Robert Morrison linebacker, and he actually was at Temple with me for a season, played running back, so he could do some things. He's actually coaching high school football, mm-hmm. and then my other brother Anthony actually coaches the Lehigh, so he hasn't been involved as much. So, again, we're finding ways to just get some individual work or some group work together and just, again, using the things that I learned, the things that people taught me along the way, and trying to relay that information to those guys. You know, whether it's just strictly football stuff or whether it's, you know, recruiting material, recruiting information, John, a lot of guys are asking, hey, how do I get recruited or what are you guys looking for in highlight taste or highlight video? So, again, there's a lot of things that I feel personally that I've learned through the last 10 years as a, as a coach that I can help some of these kids with. And again, being in this area has been tremendous to me, just trying to find ways, again, to make impact in, in the Pittsburgh area. So you mentioned the number of siblings you have. And I want to ask you that because before we get to your Pittsburgh story, before we get to your Temple story, rather, I want, I want you to talk about your Pittsburgh story. I had a chance to, to live in the area when I was younger, I spent like half of half kindergarten all through through fourth grade out there. If, if our family had stayed out there, I would have gone to North Allegheny High School. So we lived in Franklin Park and uh, around Wexford and, and, and that area. And uh, you know, my parents are from this area, but they both grew up in the Philly area. And uh, I've been out here for a long time now, but, but Pittsburgh's a special place. It's a cool place. It's, you know, the people are generally speaking very friendly. I remember the first mm-hmm. week we were there, we didn't have to make our own dinner because our neighbors were just coming over. And, and I, you know, some of my formative years were spent out there. My dad just driving me around and can't say the pro sports were good at the time. All the, all the yeah. major teams that the pirates and the Steelers were coming off their best years. But I, I know, I know that area. I don't know it like, you know, it, of course, but um, you've got such a, a cool story and, and family so important to you. So you lived in a, in a two bedroom, one bath house, you know, just in, you know, technically, I guess, just outside of, of, of the city. And I, I want you to talk to our listeners about your family, like growing up. I mean, you guys were in a, a tight family, literally and figuratively in a tight space. 
but I never hear you complain about it. It's never like, oh, I wish we had a bigger house. I wish we had this. I wish we had that. It's always like we were, we were close. I'm happy to be back home. So uh, just talk to us about that, what it was like, you know, growing up in that area and what your family means yeah. to you. Yeah, man, absolutely. Uh, obviously, I think if you would talk to myself or any one of my siblings, um, you know, we always talk about family first and family being the most important thing to us. And, you know, cause some things that I'm trying to instill in my youngins right now, John, you know what I mean? I'm mm-hmm. sure a lot of people feel the same way, but being from, again, you know, we were from McKees Rocks, which is a, like I said, a small town, very close knit town. Um, like we said, right outside the city and I went to Stowe Rocks high school and yeah, um, you know, not a lot of people, I guess, know that we, you know, we had a you know, extremely tiny house with nine of us. Obviously, you know, my, my father, you know, Don DeMichael and Joni's my mom. You know what I mean? My dad's been a painter. Um, he owned the Michael painting for, I don't know, the last 30 years. My mom's a stay-at-home grandma now. Um, but it was uh, it was interesting, to say the least, John. I mean, if you're talking two bedrooms, you know, my parents sleeping on couches and on floors. My sisters being the two girls having a bedroom. Then my oldest brother having a room, which I kind of stuck into every once in a while. And, you know, mm-hmm. threw a little mattress on the ground. Um, I'm Wait, sure, so, your, so your parents were sleeping on the couches so the kids yeah, could have yeah, a bed? Yeah, yeah. I mean, wow, that's again, something. It, it's something else. And that's kind of why... You know, when you make decisions that, you know, I had to make or my brothers make, you know, you do it for the family. You know, I mean, you make sacrifices because my parents made a ton of sacrifices for us. So anytime you know, I was able, lucky enough to be able to get back here and, you know, bring my kids around, my parents was a big deal to me. But yeah, man, I mean, it was, there were two bedrooms, one bathroom. So a lot of fights between uh, my sisters and, you know, my younger, my younger brothers and I trying to figure out who's going to take a bath, how, you know, is there hot water? Mm-hmm. You know, what are we going to do? How, you know, we share in the bathtub. Um, but again, I think at the end of the day, John, like my, my parents were the ones who made the sacrifices for us. And, you know what I mean? I think that's why my family is so tight knit and so close now. Um, but it was a, it was an interesting time, but it was special and something that I wouldn't trade for anything, um, to be quite honest with you. So at Stowe Rocks, and again, most of you, if, if you're listening, if you know Adam's story, you, you know this, but if you don't know Adam's story, I'll give you some background and context here to, to, to let you know just how good of a high school player he was. And you, we've talked about this before. Um, haven't had the chance to get back to Pittsburgh in, in, the, in the last few years. Uh, you and I have talked about this. One of my, my closest friends, we met at Temple. We were roommates at Temple. And, and after that, uh, a guy named Todd Price, who's the, the principal at, uh, at Montour High School, he talks to me about how your name gets brought up. You're 36 years old now. You've been out of high school for a long time, and people still say, "Oh, don't Adam tell me, don't tell me I'm 36, John." You already said it earlier, so you added you added yourself. I'm 45. You're young, so so I know, I know, I'm getting up there. So your name comes up, and people still say, "Adam DeMichael." I remember that guy. I watched him play. Your name still holds weight. Uh, there have at least been a couple times out there. I remember being in a cab on the way back from. Uh, from the airport out to, to Todd's place. I was out there years ago covering a Temple Duquesne basketball game for Al Scoop. And uh, a cab driver was, was asking me about Temple and uh, a couple of the guys, he said, do you know Adam DeMichael? I was like, yeah. He's like, hey, everybody loves him around here. So your name comes up and it's really cool uh, to know that your name still kind of has that staying power. And here's why. So if you don't know this, Adam broke passing records that were previously set by Joe Montana, Dan Marino, Joe Namath, guys, Western PA legends. Uh, and again, Adam was inducted into WPIA, WPIAL Hall of Fame in 2011. Um, Adam, there are special places in this country for, for high school football. You know, people in Texas can say it's special down there. It's special out in uh, California, even here on the East Coast and the, the corridor that Temple is recruited. Um, but what stands out to you about playing at Stowe Rocks and, and just being able to do what you did, having the career that they, they got you a scholarship at Penn State. We'll talk about that in a second before, you know, getting into what got you to Temple. But you had a hell of a high school career. What stands out from that time? And what's it like being a good high school football player and a tough high school football player in that part of Pittsburgh and that part of the country? Well, it's interesting because I didn't really start playing football till eighth grade. And I was basically mm-hmm. forced by my high school coach at the time to play high school ball because Obviously, I was thin. I was a basketball player, AU basketball player, yeah. baseball player, travel baseball player, did some flag football stuff. But I didn't think I was physically fit for, for that sport. And it was mm-hmm. nothing that never really uh, excited me, I should say. But once I got into it a little bit, you know, I think at the end of the day, the things that I'll, I'll take from it are, you know, I had a really good coaches in all three sports, baseball, football, and basketball. 
and I had a really good teammates. You know, I had some guys that played collegiate ball. I had some guys that were doing some things um, in different ventures of life. Um, and then again, I mean, there's still some people like I threw the ball, I think, 19 times a game in high school. And I basically played three and a half years because I didn't play my freshman year really until maybe like three or four games, maybe left mm-hmm. in the season. So I only played three and a half years. Nowadays, you got guys throwing for 10,000, 11,000 yards mm-hmm. in high school. So when I got to throw for, I guess, you know, what was it, 6,700 or something along those lines, I remember breaking the record against, I think it was Avonworth in the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it was pretty cool. And it's like, you know, you spend all this time working hard. You spend all this time putting the time in. And then, you know, there's, you know, the numbers just start piling up. And it's like, you know, did you do it at the highest level? No, no. Our football level wasn't the greatest in high school. And you know, there were some bigger and better teams. But, you know, it was extremely fun. And just hearing those names, I tell everybody all the time, those names are cool. I'm sure they're a lot better than I was. But I was, and I will take this one to my grave, the youngest member uh, to be inducted into the Hall of Fame ever. So I think I was the youngest member in 2011 when I got inducted. So that's the that's probably the coolest thing, John, you know, being mm-hmm. inducted before the, the likes of Namath and those guys at whatever age they got inducted in. So that, that's pretty cool. But it was fun. We had a lot of fun in high school. Um, I, I would go back for probably a couple months, but not too long, uh, <laughs> not too much more than that. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, playing football in Pittsburgh in this area is a big deal. Um, again, even when, you know, the collegiate guys, at the colleges, you know, we're not sending guys to colleges left and right like maybe we used to in the past. It's still good football, and I've been able to go to, you know, games now, John, for the last, what, month or so, month and a half, and it's good football, and the fans are, you know, diehard, and, you know, it's it's cool to see high school football for the first time, for me, really, in the last, you know, 15 years. You hit on something I wanted to talk to you about, too, is you were a heck of a baseball player. You were drafted by the Blue Jays eventually when you were playing junior college ball uh, down in Florida. And again, you were a heck of a basketball player too. Probably could have, uh, probably could have walked on a Temple. I would have loved to have seen you walk on the team. Um, but again, you didn't. You talked about this. You didn't start playing until eighth grade. It's not like you were three and your dad put a football in your hand and you said this was what I was meant to do right from the get go. But um, when did you start knowing, or when did you get the idea like I could? You know, and we'll, we'll get into your recruitment in a second. But do, was there a particular memory that you have? where you just, you know, uncork the throw and you're like, hey, I got a shot to do this. Because again, you were, you were skinny. You're still a skinny guy, but yeah. you played, you know, you, you got to the highest level. You went to training camp with the, with the Eagles. And if Andy Reid doesn't decide to sign Michael Vick that year, maybe you stick on the roster. Yeah. But, you know, you didn't have like, you weren't like 6'6", 220 pounds, but you ended up being a heck of a player. When did you start getting the indication that like you were going to really make a, a career out of this? You know, I don't know if there was, you know, one, one uh, certain spot for me, but like my freshman year, John, um, I wouldn't necessarily even practice with the rest of the team. So I, I think my coaches probably saw it before me and they were more excited than I was about playing the game. So I already told you, like, I didn't want to get hit. Nobody wants to get hit, especially a skinny old guy like me. So I would actually go down the opposite side of the field. I had like a special quarterback coach, essentially named Tom Deeks. Um, maybe he'll listen, but a great guy and just taught me a ton of things. I would just sit there and do drill after drill. He would just push me and motivate me and just continue to you know, give me insight on him and his quarterback expertise. And I'm thinking to myself like, okay, the rest of the team's over there practicing, doing all this stuff. And they got me the backup, essentially doing this over here, trying to figure out my craft and get better. Okay. What do they see that not necessarily I don't see? Cause I did start point guard. And up on the basketball team as a freshman, I started pitcher as a freshman, but football wise, like, I know I could throw the football. It's just like, okay, can I take that to the next level? Okay, maybe if I get bigger, maybe if I got stronger, cool. But it's around that time. And I think, you know, I, I kind of played like the last game and I might have threw like three or four touchdowns. And everyone was like, okay, this is Adam's team next year. And, you know, it's time for him to take over. And, you know, we had a lot of good players that time. So that's probably when I was like, okay, let's get to work and, you know, see where this can take us. I know I started going to camps and seven on sevens. We were a better high school team that next year. So that's kind of when it kind of went around. And so eventually you not only just get offered by Penn state, but you signed a national letter of intent with Penn state. And that starts really your, your temple journey. And it sounds like, again, for someone who doesn't know you, it might sound like an odd place to start, but um, that's really where things kind of started and got you to North Broad Street for a long time. I'll let you take it from there because it's, it's a great story. Um, tell us about your recruitment and then from there and, and how you ended up at Temple. Yeah, uh, I love telling the story. I'm, I'm, I probably told it over 100 times to people, but um, obviously I played you know three sports and football was kind of the least of my, uh, the least favorite of mine, essentially. Mm-hmm. And probably one that I was getting recruited the least in. 
Um, mm-hmm. I had some, you know, Delawares and William and Marys and schools of that nature. Some Mac guys, uh, you know, coming around and basketball had offers to Fordham and baseball had a bunch of things rolling. So it was an exciting time, but nobody knew what sport I wanted to play. Um, and Tom Bradley, who coached at Penn State for a long time, um, he came and watched me play basketball a couple of times. And then he went back and told you know, Coach Paterno at the time, um, who was obviously the head coach at Penn State, he said, hey, listen, we need this kid. And you know, we went to my mom's restaurant, um, Prima Donna's, where she was, uh, she was, she was working and, and they offered me a scholarship. And, you know, what I mean, I accepted. So it was strange because, um, you know, I played quarterback in high school, never played defense, never else and they wanted me as an athlete because you know they've had anthony morelli mm-hmm. who was a you know here from pittsburgh as well from penn hills high school was actually doing quarterback training up in indianapolis right now i talked to him every once in a while mm-hmm. um so it was him and i as the quarterbacks in that so they said hey adam you'll be an athlete so to speak and we'll give you a chance to play quarterback so for me it was like it was easy how am i going to pass this up mm-hmm. and one of my good friends and you know aau basketball teammates aq shipley was going to be my roommate in college you know we wanted mm-hmm. to visit together you know, AQ's coaching winning with the Buccaneers right now. I talked to him right. about a month ago. So I uh I decided to commit. So you committed, late. you committed right on the spot when they offered you. I committed the restaurant? You know, I, mean, I, I committed and I was like, hey man, this is the easy one for me. It's like this is Penn State. This is the top of the you know upper echelon of college football. You know, this is the this is big time football. And it's like, okay, Adam, you could do it. You're athletic enough, you can go ahead and redshirt, you know, play as a sophomore. So to make a long story short, I ended up playing some baseball and some scouts were coming around. I threw pretty hard. I'm like, man, do I really want to go play football in the Big Ten and get run over? This was about from Minnesota had Lawrence Maroney and um, Barber and Ohio State had backs after backs. I'm like, I'm going to play safety and get run over constantly playing football and defense at Penn State. Or should I just go ahead and use what God gave me right now and go play baseball somewhere? So I uh, made the decision to um, decommit. And obviously it was after signing day. So for them to let me, you know, release me from my scholarship, John, um, they would have lost the whole scholarship. And then, you know, it was basically I screwed them basically, you know what I mean? What it come down to is how they took it. And, you know, I get it, you know, as a 17 year old kid, you're like, Hey, it's cool. You know what I mean? No big deal. No worries. They'll, they'll be fine. So they basically said, Hey, guess what, buddy? We're, we're not going to release you. If you want to do anything, they didn't want me to come back and play uh, football against them sometime in the future, which I came back and did anyway and ended up coaching yeah. against them. Um, I was actually going to play baseball pit. And I was gonna walk on the basketball team. That was my plan. It was set in stone. Now, were they um, were they afraid that you were trying to get out and go to Pitt and then not playing? Did they not want to lose you to Pitt as a football player? I think they didn't want to. They just said, you know, from from what I can remember, a long time ago, is they didn't want me to come back and play against them on the football field at some gotcha. point in the future, mm-hmm. which makes sense. Um, so I was kind of in a, in a tough place because, you know, I couldn't play Division One sports right now, um, or I'd have to sit out a year. So if I went to this, you know, obviously I went to a junior college route, I would have been able to play, you know, spend a year or two there and then, you know, be able to go ahead and get into a, you know, a four-year institution. So that was my, that's what I did. I went down to, you know, Destin, Florida, Okaloosa, Walton Junior College at the time. They had some MLB players, had a lot of fun, spent two years there, um, got drafted by the Blue Jays, the pitcher, but literally the entire time down there after practice, I was still in the football or hmm. I was in the basketball or I was at the basketball court playing with the with the basketball with the boys basketball team. So it was almost like, yeah, you chose baseball, but I couldn't leave the other two sports alone. It was just, it was just ingrained in me because I've never played one sport. And now you're playing baseball, we were talking spring. They have a spring season and a fall season. So you know I've spent two seasons down there and you know I ended up getting drafted like we talked about. And I'm like, okay, the money wasn't good. So then I said I came back home and I'm like, wow man, like it was, it might've been over Christmas. Like, Hey coach, I told my high school coach, if anyone comes around, just let them know that I might be interested in playing football again. And, you know, I had a couple of, a uh, couple of takers, Ohio university, a couple of the max. And then, you know, my younger brother, Alex was actually committed to temple as a walk on fullback. And he gave my film to Jeff Nixon, who coaches it, uh, Carolina with, 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 with Matt rule. He was a running back coach and George DeLeon was the offensive coordinator. And I went to camp. At Syracuse and he coached me at Syracuse you remember me and um they offered me a scholarship when I went to visit those guys so it was basically between Ohio and Temple and you can imagine I was gonna I, I was probably I was like 55 percent gonna choose Ohio University it was a you know it was a better situation the program was obviously a little better at the time the city that, that you know the city there um it is really nice coach Solich was there and they, you know they recruited me hard but they told me hey, I just said hey Adam you know we want you here we want you here 
but you're actually going to have to come to school in three days. I said, when's this semester start? They had tri, tri semesters or whatnot. Um, so he said, you, you have to be back here in three days. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I was like, ah, I don't think I'll be ready in three days. And you know what I mean? Obviously it wasn't a backup plan, but that's kind of how I got the temple. Um, but, so it's basically the help of my brother. And he really, you know, he doesn't let me live that down. Like you got the temple because of me. Mm-hmm. And didn't, didn't Al kind of say to him or one of the guys when they were recruiting him saying like, hey, because they obviously knew about you. You know, a lot of people mm-hmm. knew about you. You were an unknown name. Didn't they also kind of say to him like, hey, by the way, what's your brother up to? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, um, when he got the tape, it was one of those deals where like, um, especially when I went, I remember going on my visit. I'm like, wow, this place is different because um, you know, obviously the weight room was tiny. You know what I mean? It was a new, mm-hmm. the players looked, I don't want to say not motivated. It was just, it was just different. You know, Satya and Bakta was there. He said he was the GA. He's wanted to show me around. He coaches at Cornell. Ryan Roder coached at Penn State. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're talking, there were there were guys there that are coaching at a high level right now in the professionals or the college ranks. And um, you know, I remember talking to Al, and he's, you know, like I, I think he just did a story on him. You know, after making the the Temple Hall of Fame, right? Um, you know, he came there for a challenge, and that's you know the reason why I chose Temple as well because it was going to be a challenge. And obviously, you seen how things happened from that first year till 08 and then the guys from 09 class took over and, you know, got us to a bowl game. So. You guys, again, at Temple, you talked about, you know, one of the, it, uh, an understatement to say the least, it was a challenge and that's what appealed to you. That's certainly what appealed to Al Golden. And it was really cool to see Al get inducted a couple of weeks ago into Temple's athletics hall of fame. Uh, and, and Matt, Rule will be the, the first to admit this. Hey, without Al, this whole thing doesn't happen. Al gave him an opportunity. Um, tell us about how bad, and I, you know, I'm not exaggerating, and you kind of talked about this a little bit already, how bad things were when you, when you got there and where you and some of those other guys that did the heavy lifting left the program when you left. Because, you know, when Al got there in 2006, it was kind of a toss-up between Temple and Buffalo being like among the, maybe the worst program in the country. What, how tough was it? Because you had, you had been obviously a guy that played at a high level in Pittsburgh. You were recruited to play at Penn state and you end up at temple and you get there and you're like, all right, tell us what you saw, what it was like. And then what had to happen to get the culture changed to the point where, you know, you left just before that 2009 season where they got to the bowl game, you and Vaughn Charlton were brought in around the same time. Vaughn got to start that, you know, that bowl game in, in 2009, you had already left, but Again, you were one of the guys that helped them get there. How bad was it when you first got there? And then where was the program when you left? I was at that bowl game. Um, I went down to that bowl game. I wasn't going to miss that one. Um, mm-hmm. I was with Alex Darenthal, my center. Mm-hmm. And I was with uh, Stephen Brindle, who's um, he's actually assistant strength coach at the Milwaukee Bucks now. Mm-hmm. He was uh, he helped at Temple. So I actually went to that bowl game. He drove, he drove me down there, and I wasn't going to miss that one. Right. Um, but it was, it was tough, John. You know, when you come from a place, and I think, um, that, that I've won a lot, you know what I mean? We were successful. Um, I saw how things should, should be done. You know, I was competitive. That was the, you know, the thing that drove me and you get to temple and some of the guys that were there, you know, you know I'm not bad mouthing anybody. You know, that just wasn't, that wasn't their, 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 the way that they were thinking. That wasn't mm-hmm. how, whether it was the staff before them or the staff before that staff, mm-hmm. um, you know, there wasn't enough help academically, which, you know, coach Golden fixed immediately. The facilities weren't nowhere near elite. And you know, they were, you know, bottom of the barrel. You know, the locker room was small. We had one pair of pants and, you know, two jerseys, one helmet. You know what I mean? It was just, it was just really simple and basic. And, you know, the guys that we had just weren't bought in fully to what, you know, needed to be done to be a, be a competitive college football team. And that showed on the field when, you know, you watch us, you know, because that first game we, I played, we lost 9-3 to Buffalo. And then we lost, you know, to Minnesota and Louisville 62 nothing back-to-back mm-hmm. weeks. It was like, I've never been a part of that. A lot of the guys that Coach Golden recruited were never a part of that. And I think that they did a good job of finding guys that fit the mold of what they wanted. You know what I mean? Tough, competitive, you know, hard-nosed guys from good programs, whether they were team captains, you know, they were leaders, you know what I mean? Whatever the case may be, but they did a good job of finding the right fit for us. And then obviously as, you know, 06, you know, that season got over with. 07 was, was pretty elite. Um, to say the least, from comparable to, to 06, we, we won a few games, and that was before I ended up uh, breaking my leg in the Miami-Ohio game. Um, but, you know, the likes of, you know, we had skilled guys, Bruce Francis and Travis Shelton, and we had a, a, a plethora of, 
you know, running backs. And obviously, we look at our defense, you know, in those those games, there's a ton of guys that play professional football in that two, right. 2007 to 08 team. Then you get to 08, and it's, you know, we're rolling. Like, we got some NFL guys. You know, we just missed, you know, we end up going five and seven. You know, another injury to myself and a couple other, you know, important guys. But it, 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 it was changed dramatically. And I think it was obviously, you know, part new to the players, but the staff did a phenomenal job. And that's obviously, you know, Al Golden's doing. And then, you know, him having his staff teach us the things that we needed to be taught to be successful and to finally buy into what they were teaching. Because the guys that didn't buy in, John, you know, they were gone. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of quote that if any Al Golden, uh, former Al Golden players are listening, you know, you hear him say they were gone. He's gone. He would say that a ton, a ton, a ton. Mm-hmm. And people would just, probably laugh about it but um you know those guys were, were, were out of the program and then you know we kind of just restarted with you know the guys that wanted to be there and so it, it was changed it changed a ton it's, and I always tell people when I was back at Temple you know we're very very spoiled at Temple right now like these guys expect to come in and win six seven eight nine games that's not how it used to be it's like you have to fight for four fight for five and not not saying that these guys don't but you know, there were times where I thought guys were just expecting to get in there and win you guys, uh, and you, you, this isn't anything new to you. You've heard this a million times. But one of the things that Al talked about was, I mean, again, he was the CEO type. And he, he had to teach you guys or teach this, this new group that he inherited how to win. Because he, I think he, I remember hearing him talk about, and coaches talk about sudden change. How do you react to sudden change? You know, there's a, you know, whatever happens, a, you know, a fumble, a turnover, a special teams miscue. How do you get this? this group of guys to say, uh-oh, here it comes. We can feel it like a big bag of anxiety on our shoulder. Here comes the old temple. We're going to blow this game. He taught you guys how to win. Might sound like a, like a big overarching question, but how did you do it? Did, did you just need to see some success first? Like, how Can you talk our listeners through how you guys learned how to win and overcome the temple of old to get to the temple of new? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, again, as I, as I think, Yes, you asked that question, and I'm thinking about it. You know, very quickly. It's like, how did we do it? Um, I think obviously, what you said, you hit it right on the nose. When you see a little success, um, and, you know, everybody feeds off of it. You know, if somebody out there executes at a high level, and you know, say for instance, Delano Green, my buddy Delano, mm-hmm. returns a punt. You know, with a couple guys missing a block, and he finds a way to scoop through and go 60. It's like everything changes. Mm-hmm. Or if you know, I'm able to scramble right and you know, hit Bruce Francis against Connecticut on a double move, um, on a broken play, and you see a little success, it's like, wow, guys, like, hey, we are just as good as these guys. Hey, it's not going to go bad. It's like we found guys that could stop the bleeding, so to speak. You know, there were leaders like the Jaquan Jarrett at a young age, Dominique Harris is, you know, myself, the Alex Danfield, guys I mentioned earlier, guys up front of offensive line, like we had guys that wanted to go ahead and stick their hand in that blade and stop the fan, you know what I mean, stop that mm-hmm. bleeding. So we had guys that, you know, kind of figured it out. And obviously the coaches kind of ingrained in us how how to get that done. And we had to take a next play mentality. I mean, if, hey, man, it's third and eight. Uh, the defense, you know, we had guys who probably would think back no six, like third and eight, oh, they're converting on this guy. Just sit back down offense. And we had to change that to like third and eight. No, you know what I mean? We got we to go. It's time. These guys are the problem. Offense, get, flip the switch. Offense, get ready to rock and roll. It's our time to shine. So it seems like when one guy made a player executed at a high level, the juices were flowing and everybody was ready to rock and roll. So I don't know if there's one thing, but like you said, a little success goes a long way, especially for such a young team. Um, you know what I mean? And guys that were, hey, this is the temple of old. But no, no, it's not going to be like this anymore. I'm mad living here a little bit, but I got I'm just this is coming back to me now because just from covering all this stuff and all the memories come flooding back for me. I want to hear your version of the the play that should have been the game-winning touchdown up at UConn, because you mentioned Bruce Francis. <laughs> Bruce Francis very, very clearly got his foot down in the back of the end zone and a call that was not overturned. Um, it was a trick play. It was executed beautifully. Yeah. It was not overturned. I remember being up in the press box, and even people from UConn sports media relations staff were saying, wow, this is going to get overturned. What a hell of a play. And it didn't get overturned. Tell us your version of that. The play was drawn up, and, and the the play that that should have been a, a game winning play, but never was. Yeah, I mean, I could draw it for you right now if I had a, if you if we were able to get it on the film and show the the guys, uh, show the listeners. But I remember on the left pass, I think it was fourth down too. And it's interesting we call it toss reverse pass on fourth down. It's like, hey man, 
this thing don't work, you know, the game's over. So you want to you want to go in your bag of tricks. And, you know, George Daly owned at the time. I think it was him still. He went. You might not know if it was him or Matt that called this, but remember I tossed it to I think it was Jason Harper. He flipped it to Dion, crewed up, and then Bruce was the backside X, and he was supposed to cross the field, take the safety, and they were going to throw me the toss pass, almost like the Philly special, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, but it was actually a right-handed quarterback rolling to his left, right-handed receiver, excuse me, rolling mm-hmm. to his left. He had to throw it back to me, and I was covered. Bruce was covered. He flipped it up there. I jumped. We tipped it, and then I just remember looking back. And then, you know, seeing it on the, the the big screen of Bruce just catching it, getting that foot down. I'm like, all right, we got this one. Like, like I, I was I just couldn't believe it. And I very ever think every year it pops up on my phone and one of those apps mm-hmm. I have, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of just get discouraged and a little disgusted that, you know, it wasn't called our way. But I could draw it up for you perfectly. And it was just like, hey, man, it, it was the one thing that should have went our way that didn't. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's a couple of those things we'll get into throughout the rest of these, uh, the rest of these uh, episodes, for sure, because that's one of the ones that I wish we could have back. When that happened, I think a lot of people, certainly the fans and maybe the players, took it as like a sign of disrespect, where it was like, if we were not even Alabama, but if, uh, you know, if, if we weren't Temple, we'd get that call. Is that how you guys felt? Because it was very, very clear that he got yeah, his foot down. Yeah, it's just interesting. It's like, did they, did they send that to New York like they do in the NFL? Like, is somebody else watching it besides that replay official? I know it was, I don't know how many years ago now, 07. So, you know, it's like who else was watching this besides the one referee? Because it's it's extremely clear that it should have been a touchdown. So it was it was hard. It was a hard pill to swallow. But again, as you, you know, as you know, it's like, hey, that's something that made the next year worth it. And it made the next year after that worth it. And then obviously we we kept things rolling throughout the, the, you know, that next decade, um, Temple football was on the rise. and You know, we're just hoping to continue to stay there and continue to get better. One of the things that I think stands out uh, about you, just, you know, in, in addition to in addition to the stats, I mean, you got, you know, 5,024 yards passing, 45 touchdowns. But this fan base connected with you like and people are going to think this is that like a you know over the top comparison but like like the eagles fan base connected with brian dawkins or like the sixers fan base connected with alan iverson people really really looked up to you because you were tough and i think one of the things that you had going for you from where i sat was you seemed to connect with almost everybody in that locker room regardless of who they were where they came from where they live everybody respected you walk us through why that was, why you're able to connect with people, why, you know, PJ Walker sings your praises, Frank Mutile, the quarterbacks you've worked with, the players that you played with, you just seem to just reach across all, like all different groups in that, in that, in that locker room, you know, special teams, guys, offense, defense, no matter where anybody was from, uh, they all seem to love you. Why did you connect with them so well? No, I think as a as a young as a youngster back in you know McKee's Rocks, I, I was the same way. Like I felt like I could find ways to to reach just about anybody and push just about anybody and or joke with just about anybody or motivate or compete with or you know play around with. It didn't matter who you were, where you're from, what color you were. It didn't matter. Um, I just felt like as a young at a young age, it was something that was important to me to try to find ways to reach people. And, you know, see what they can teach me and see what I can teach them. Obviously, at a young age, I, that wasn't really the, you know, my idea. But when I got to high school and obviously in college, it's like, geez, there's 115 other guys in here. Like, what can they teach me? Or what can I show them? How can I impact them? How can they impact me? Like, um, you know, Lamar McPherson, a kid from North Philly. It's like, mm-hmm. how, why should him and I connect? It's just, you know, when I see him now, it's just like, hey, man, it's just like we were back in the locker room. Here's my locker mate, right? Down, you know, two, mm-hmm. two, two, two locker rooms down. Um, so I think it's just one of the things where I like to compete. I like to find ways to make an impact with some guys. And I think those guys, um, they can relate to me because I think they see the, the work that I put in and the time that I put in. And, um, you know, I mean, I just like to have fun. You know, I like, I like to have fun whenever I was a player. But at the same time, I also knew when to turn that off and, you know, be serious and, you know, be a guy that, you know, that anyone could come to. You know, I would I would take pride in getting young guys involved. You know, the Joe Joneses of the world was a freshman from, you know, Hollywood. Florida. Yeah. Yeah. I used to get Joe down to the facility with me as a freshman. I was a senior. Like, he was my roommate, you know, one of my four roommates. And I was like, hey, Joe, it's, we're getting up on Saturday and we're going to go work. Like, what kind of impact, what kind of lasting impact are you going to have on the young guys? 
when you leave this program. That's what I would tell all the guys at Temple, you know, PJ and Frank and all the guys that have been there in the past. Like, what's your legacy when you leave here? Um, you know, I mean, how are you, how are the young guys going to remember you? That was important to me. That's why, again, I also played quarterback position, so I knew I had to find ways to relate to guys to get those guys to believe in me and to believe in, like, hey, AD is going to take us to where we need to be. Because I remember Terrence Knighton saying, AD, we need you on the sidelines. Like, we need you. We believe in you. And he's, like, screaming it at me, you know, we're, because we couldn't score points. He's like, it's up. You got this. Like, we believe in you. We need you. And I'm like, Terrence, like, you're a fifth-round pick. Like, you're a millionaire. You're about to go ahead and play in the NFL. Like, you know, I hope you guys need me. You know what I mean? But I, take, I took a lot of pride in that stuff, you know. And Terrence had his own incredible story, too. I mean, you know, Matt did a lot of work with him, right? He was up close to, like, 400 pounds and got his weight down and turned mm-hmm. him into an NFL player. Adam, after Temple – you got a, you've said it before, you got a, a cup of coffee with the Eagles, but got to go to camp with them, uh, threw a touchdown pass against the Colts in a preseason game. And I alluded to this earlier, if not for uh, Andy Reid, you know, giving Michael Vick a, a second chance, which of course worked out for the Eagles for a while. Um, you were in there competing for a backup job, maybe a practice squad spot. Tell us about that time, you know, being an undrafted rookie free agent. And, you know, you didn't get a, a long career in the NFL but you still got to put on an NFL uniform, put on an Eagles uniform, throw a touchdown pass and get to do something that so many people have not gotten a chance to do. What was that time like in your life? It was exciting. It was, um, it was interesting. It was, it was kind of strange because, you know, you're playing with the likes of, they had Donovan McNabb at the time, Kevin Cobb, AJ Felix. You're talking three pros that mm-hmm. were probably going to make the team. And then, you know, I got invited to be that fourth guy, our camp guy. So, I didn't have extremely high expectations, but I was, I guess, like I told you earlier, and I think a lot of you guys probably know this, I was extremely competitive and I knew, hey, I have to find a way to get some kind of tape on, you know, some kind of tape out there. So if it's not with the Eagles, it could be somewhere else, a different league, a different team. Um, but again, I got to be around those three guys who were true professionals, in my opinion, that, you know, at least, at least me, like when I had questions or whenever I had any kind of concerns, I got, you know, to ask Donovan McNabb, you know, one of the, the best quarterbacks in Philadelphia Eagles history mm-hmm. about why he did this or why he did that. He actually answered me, you know, a guy that's a, you know, a, essentially a undrafted free agent that's making no money is just, just got fresh out of college. It, it was pretty cool. And then you get to see Kevin Cobb, who I thought was like the best practice quarterback ever. Mm-hmm. Never seen nobody as good as him. And then I'm throwing to Deshaun. My first ever completion in practice was to Deshaun Jackson, who's still playing in the NFL right now. Mm-hmm. And then um, Jeremy Macklin was, was a good friend of mine. Brandon Gibson, who I threw the touchdown to. So I have the memories. I have the football. I have my jersey, who a, a random fan found at a store. I tried to get the jersey. Don't know if you can imagine this. I tried to get the jersey. They told me they didn't have it. I'm sorry, we don't have it. So they actually, I actually found it at like a some kind of sports store. It was like $30, and someone found it, and they texted me and said, hey, your, your Eagles jersey's here. It's like six years later, and they had my jersey at the, the store. Actual and, um, oh, yeah, the actual jersey that you'd worn? Oh, yeah, the white wow. jersey. Yep, they found wow. it in like a – I don't know what the store was, but they texted me like, hey, do you want this? I'm like, wait a second. The Eagles told me they never had the jersey. But to make a long story short, man, it was it was an extremely cool time. I got to see how professionals really handle their business, and I got to see why they're NFL players. Like, they were elite at every level. I mean, Jason Peters was bigger than a fridge. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You're talking about the running backs they had. Shady was there. Mm-hmm. And it was cool. It was like, okay, I understand why they're doing what they're doing, why they make the money they make. And, you know what I mean? It's like, why is this the most competitive and competitive sport in, in, in all of, you know, the world? So it was pretty cool. And um, like I said, it was a short cup of coffee, but I did get to play against Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'll take that one with me for a long time. Um, I remember they were interviewing Manning whenever I threw the touchdown to Brandon Gibson. So that was also pretty cool to hear him talking. Mm-hmm. But um, it was interesting. Um, again, it was short-lived. But um, like, I, don't, I don't think I ever um, – I don't give myself enough credit for getting there mm-hmm. because I, you know, I really thought that there'd be more, but that's for another time. So after that, you had stints in the CFL and then the arena league and the Matt rule approached you about coaching. And I remember you had said, and I think you'd even just said this to the post because that recently, I think Matt said to you, Hey, at one point you're going to, you're going to coach for me. And if I remember correctly and correct me if I'm wrong, he, it took a little convincing, right? Cause I weren't there conversations about maybe you come in as a GA, maybe you do this. I think I even remember talking to you. It wasn't necessarily like a, Oh yeah, I'm definitely going to do this. You'd thought about it for a while, right? Yeah, it was a, a 
a quick, I remember when he asked, when he told me that in one of our meetings, our quarterback meetings, I basically told him, hell no. I was not going to coach for him ever. He's crazy. <laughs> uh, I've seen what it takes. I've seen what it takes to be a collegiate coach. I've seen the time, you know what I mean? The, how, how busy you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, the time Especially at Temple. Your, where I've seen you be way. away from yeah. your families. I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of different things. I'm like, no shot. But, you know, he did get the job. It was obviously between him and another former coach. And, you know, he, he, he um, asked if I could help him with a few things and, and talking to a few people. And, you know, he had the backing of a lot of our former players and alumni, which was cool. Um, but, you know, when he got it, I had to think about it for a little bit. Like, all right, I think I'm done playing. So is this what I want to do next? And it was difficult early on to get into it. Being a GA, never handling certain things with the computer and drawing plays and certain things I didn't have to do as a player that you know a lot of people just took from you know I just took for granted essentially. Um, but yeah, he uh, he got me got my foot in the door, and you know I'll, I'll be uh, I'm forever thankful for that. How did you find your identity before we last question for you, before we get into this, this current temple team, which you obviously have a ton of insight into just being fresh off the staff. How long did it take you to find your identity as a coach? Because you're a young guy and you're not that far removed from the game. What was it like to find your identity as a coach when you're on the other side of it? And you're like, now I got to reach these guys. I have to reach this position. I have to reach this Mm -hmm. specific guy and get him to buy in the way that our guys bought in the past. Yeah, I don't, I, to be quite honest with you, I think from day one that that was my strong suit of me being able to relate to the players and saying, hey, no, no, you're not doing it right, PJ. Like, this is how it should be done. Or, you know, Juice Granger or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Of quarterbacks of the past, you know, it's like, you're not doing it the right way. Let's make an adjustment and get that fixed. So I think I found my way in that manner very quickly. Um, like I said, they, those guys knew I was fresh out of the game, fresh out of that cup of coffee in the NFL. So it was probably cool to them. And they probably uh, heard some stories about me along the way from from Coach Rule and maybe a couple of the other guys on the staff. But the 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 not necessarily the business side of thing, but you know, finding ways to you know game plan and you know why are we why do we want to use this concept versus that coverage and you know what I mean drawing plays and you know what I mean trying to make adjustments on the fly during the game. That was an adjustment from me being a player because obviously again, like I told you earlier, those things were taken care of for you as a player. It's like okay, you want us to run this, great. Now they put it, put us out there and we go. So we're just trying to, I was, I was trying to find ways to put our guys in a position to be successful. And that was a major key for me as a coach. Um, and that's something that, again, as I still do my business now, it's like, okay, how can we put these guys in a position to be successful? What drills are, you know, what's the next part of this, uh, this drill for this guy to do to be better the next time. And so as we, as we close things out, it was fun taking a, a trip down memory lane there because there are so many stories we didn't get to. And I'm sure we'll get to them in the coming weeks as we get some guests on. But again, there were so many, so many important players and so many faces and, and personalities that helped you and all the other guys shape the, the foundation that this program has now. And we, and we look forward to, to bringing you guys, our, our listeners, those stories in, in the coming weeks. So we'll certainly, this isn't the last time we're going to revisit uh, Adam's playing career and some of the other Great things, like I said, that got this program to where it is now. Where they are now, three and three, heading into Saturday's game, 7 p.m. game down in Tampa uh, against USF. Adam, again, you're in the unique position where you're just a few months removed from being on this staff. You know this team well. So I think we were, we're talking about this before we started recording. You know, I don't know if you know players do this. We do it as reporters. You, you go through, and it's, it's useless to try to predict, but you say, all right, Let's try to predict where this team's going to be. They lost some guys in the portal. They gained some guys in the portal. You know, the, the, you guys as a staff seem to be pressing a lot of the right buttons after, after Jeff leaves, the whole Manny Diaz thing. It's a, just a crazy time in Temple football. You were one of the guys that stuck around and helped, you know, provide some stability. And after that one in six season last year, a lot of people are thinking, you know, what direction is this heading in? So if, if you said to a fan, or if you said to somebody, look, after six weeks, they're going to be three and three. You'd say, okay, maybe that, that sounds about right. They're, they're going to, you know, Rutgers might be tough. They're going to beat Akron. BC's coming off a pretty solid season. They got to beat Wagner. Maybe that Memphis game is there since he's going to be tough. And so here they are, they're three and three, but it's how they got to three and three. They've had some, some high highs and they've certainly had some low lows, the 61, 14 blowout loss at Rutgers. Um, they've been played by some slow starts. They fell behind against Akron before they come back and win 45, 24, Moved the ball at times against BC, but just couldn't get it done in a 28-3 loss. Then they, they they beat an FCS team like they're supposed to in Wagner. Um, 
then they they show that they're they're not quitting on the season. They 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 come back again, fall behind 17-0. They beat Memphis 34-31. And then obviously a couple Fridays ago, run into again one of the top teams in the country at Cincinnati on a Friday night. Uh we're able to move the ball a little bit at first, but then you know, Dewan Mathis spent the majority of the night running for his life. Um, nothing got done in every phase, more special teams miscues. They lose 52 to three. So they're three and three. And yet there's still some winnable games on the schedule. And this still could be a team that gets to a bowl game and gets that six wins the, that they need to be bowl eligible. We're at that halfway point of the season. Uh, certainly a winnable game this coming Friday, or excuse me, this coming Saturday at USF. Again, you know this team much better than I do. You're just removed from, from leaving the program. What have you seen through the first six games, some of the good, the bad, the indifferent, and where do you see this thing heading into the, into the USF game? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, John, you just you just uh, you just spread a lot of good knowledge right there, and a lot of good information. Hopefully, li- listeners uh, listen to, and I'm just going to add to it a little bit. Um, but again, if you want, I don't know, you want the good or the bad first? Let's uh, start with the bad, and then uh, maybe we'll try to, yeah, to go with the good and try to yeah. go in on a positive first, note. So I'm, I think you've already mentioned this, but I think that as I get and I've watched every game just like you have, and I got to spend a lot of time, um, you know, just kind of again, watching and seeing different guys play. So you have to find a way to start faster. Um, we scored seven points in the first quarter of the entire season. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we're, you know, we're getting outscored 60 to seven in the first quarter. So, again, we're starting slow. Whatever the case, the reasons might be, you know, I'm sure the coach staff's trying to figure out that. I'm sure they've been talking about that for a long time now. But they have to find a way to put points on the board early and often. I think if you really look at it, the injuries, just listen to a couple of these names, the guys that have been hurt. I mean, you're talking Randall Jones, Amir Tyler, Quenku, Jaden Blue. Winston, Mathis, Nice, Klein, DMR, and there's more. I mean, sometimes you just have to be lucky in this game, mm-hmm. being a guy that's – I broke my leg and separated my shoulder right. as a player. So it's, it's hard to stay healthy playing football. And if your top players are out, it's going to be hard to, you know, be in, you can be in games unless you have some young guys that you've developed behind them. So the injuries have been a big concern. Now you're talking about some football things here. Um, something that I've always looked into, third down conversions. We're 31%, John. We're 25 for 80. That, that's 118th in the country. So, mm-hmm. again, we're having a hard time keeping drives going and staying on the football field and putting the defense on the field a little more than we would want. Two of 13 versus Rutgers, three of 14 versus BC, and three of 13 versus Cincy. And those are obviously the three of the bigger teams and, and better teams that we played. So if you're not converting on third down and moving the football, you're putting your defense in a bad spot. And again, there's a lot of different reasons. And those, those, those have also been, you know what I mean, in some victories where they're just trying to run the clock out. So those numbers are a little skewed. Don't get me wrong, because I've done this before as well. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about our turnover margin. You know, we're minus three. So again, we have to find ways to protect the ball, and then we have to find ways to take it away. I mean, that's really the name of the game. And that's the 105th in the country. Again, numbers are just numbers. This is just me blurting them out. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. But, you know, those are a few of the bads. You know, and there's some football in there, and then there's some things that you can't necessarily control. Now we're talking to good. I mean, you mentioned it again. We're three and three. So essentially this season, again, I wouldn't say this to the players, but the, the, the real season starts now. It's like they're starting the season over right now with six games to go, and they're all conference games. We're, we're zero and zero. Um, you know, I mean, we went through a lot of good things, a lot of bad, some tough breaks. But now everything that they've worked for, and, you know, I mean, over in this bye week, they have the opportunity to, to fix it and, you know, right the ship. So – and I also think, John, we have a lot of guys that get a chance to play and compete with these injuries. Um, you know, with say, for instance, with DMR, Blue, and um, Randall Jones, we've had 17 different dudes catch a pass this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's unheard of. Um, you're talking about, again, with, with the Wands injury, Lynch has had a chance to play a little earlier than we expected or probably we hoped. But again, in the long run, is that necessarily a bad thing? You know, now he gets his feet wet a little bit. So that's a plus and that's a positive in a strange way. And I think that, you know, with the injuries to our top two receivers, I think the emergence of Jose Barbone and Amon Anderson in the wide receiver room, you're talking, you know, Jose's got 26 for 325. I would always talk to Jose, trying to find ways to, to motivate him and keep him confident. I've never seen him play. You know, I'm not there anymore. I've never seen him play and look as confident as he is right now. He's executing at a high level each and every week. Then you have Ahmad, who's transferred from, obviously, Purdue. Mm-hmm. The kids come alive, and, you know, he's brought a spark to that offense with a little bit of flavor and a little bit of swag and just his ability to catch and run. I mean, he's as explosive as they come. And as I look forward to that, you know, the next six in the schedule, I mean, 
if these guys can get back to the basics, again, this is going to be a simple run the ball, catch the ball, protect the quarterback on offense. And then again, on defense, you tackle, hold them to field goals and get turnovers. I mean, that's how you win football games. That's like, that's not even coach Adam. That's, that's a uh, podcast Adam talking right now. And that's kind of how you, if you get back to the basics, that's how you win football games. So that's again, really simple. So those are some of the good and the bad. Hopefully, you know, the good outweighs the bad this, you know, in this next couple of weeks with, with UCF, U, excuse me, USF, who's, you know, one in five right now. I think obviously I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you what you think of Dwan Mathis. Obviously he got hurt uh, and he's still really not at a hundred percent. You know, he was limping around before he left game for good at Rutgers. And like you said, on, on the positive side, it gave Justin Lynch some time to play. And you can see some of the positives there. You can see that he was a, I guess uh, the younger brother of a coach and Jordan Lynch and, and knows this offense. And there's some, some signs there that he could really do some things in the future, but then you can see some of the special traits in Dwan Mathis. And, you know, again, we saw what he was able to do you know, against, against Wagner. And then people see that and they're like, all right, he's got to do it against an FBS team. And he does it, um, you know, against Memphis. And that was a, you know, a nice win for the team. And uh, again, this is not uh, any sort of great insight, but, the guy had no time to throw against Cincinnati. Again, that was a, a really, really good defense. But again, I think we'd be lying if we said the offensive line just played very poorly and was not as competitive as they should have been. Again, real good defense, but DeWan didn't have a whole lot of time to throw and it just it just got ugly. It looked like he didn't even have time to set his feet on certain throws. And so you as a quarterback, former quarterback, you got to the NFL at one point, you've coached quarterbacks. Were you seeing, you got to spend a little time around Dwan, you're not with him every day now, but what have you seen from him? Again, a lot of intrigue coming in. It was a big deal for Temple to get him uh, after you lose Anthony Russo to the portal to Michigan State. Dwan was a former big-time recruit. By all indications, the guys on the team really like him. He didn't seem to come in and say, oh, I'm, a, I'm an SEC-level recruit. I was at Georgia. You guys just automatically have to respect me. Guy seems pretty cool and pretty measured in press conferences, and you can see the ability, but you have an eye that I don't have when looking at quarterbacks. So what do you look at? What do you see when you look at Dwan Mathis? Again, incomplete resume to say the least. He's been banged up. He's been hurt, still young in his career. But what do you see when you look at him? Yeah, I've got to, um, again, I was lucky enough to spend a little bit of time with Dwan whenever he, you know, came in from Georgia and we were recruiting him. Um, not as much as obviously, you know what I mean, as, as you know, the coaches that are there now. But I've, I know Coach Landry's coaching him up really hard. The kid was competitive. The kid asked questions. The kid was digging in um, on the offense on a daily basis. You know, and the kid put the time in. I think at the quarterback position, you know who really wants it and, you know, who doesn't. Just by the time they spend in the facility and the time that they're spending in the – whether it's the offensive coordinator the quarterback coach's room and the questions that they're asking and the way that they lead on the field. But I've seen a lot of good from him. I mean, the kid delivers a, a really good football. You know, he can throw it all over the field from different angles. And again, if he's not healthy, again, I'm, I wish I was Al Bellamy, the trainer. I'd know a little bit more about his injury. Mm -hmm. But um, if, you know, if he was, was if he's not 100% right now, it, you know, it, it stinks. But the kid's fighting through injuries. And, you know, that's another big deal. The kid, you know, the, he might not, he might be hurt, but he's not injured. You know what I mean? The kid's fighting through it. But I've seen a lot of composure. I've seen a lot of bad things happening where he's not necessarily, like I've seen again in my past or even when you're watching guys on TV now, when something bad happens, you know, quarterbacks are yapping and, at the receivers or yapping at the old line or barking at the running backs for not picking up a blitz. That's not the type of kid that he is at the moment. So the kid's calm. He's cool headed. Um, but again, he was competitive and he's, you know, again, he's delivering some balls where you're like, wow, this is impressive. And there's time where, you know what I mean? It, it, I don't know if it's, it's necessarily his feet or what he's seeing or, you know, whatever the case may be, but then there's some, some downs as well. You know, there's some negatives, but again, it's, it's the first real um, dose of Dewan Mathis that we're getting. And I don't know. How many did he play, John, now? He missed what? So he played, yeah. I mean, he played, you know, played in the Rutgers game, left the injury mm -hmm. there, um, didn't play at Akron, didn't play against Boston College, goes yep. back for Wagner, uh, plays against Wagner, plays against Memphis, and then obviously, you know, the 52-3 loss at Cincinnati. Adam, you, you've yeah. been involved in games like that, like you said. It was real bad before it got good. I, I can't remember if it was – Oh, six or seven, that one year you guys go up to Penn State and you're, you're, you know, not playing on the opposite side as AQ Shipley, but you're playing one of your former teammates. I think one of those games that one year, I think you guys either didn't get back, get the ball past midfield yeah. or 
All right. And of course, at the time, what was the average weight of your offensive line? Like 260, yeah. your guards were like, yep. yeah, that was, it was in the beginning stages. So you've been in a game like that where just nothing's going right and you're mm-hmm. trying. And how does a quarterback, you know, again, we hear you guys say as football players, you got to play the next play, um, you know, whether or not it's going to work for him. If ultimately, Nick Sirianni, the current Eagles head coach, says we have to have that dog mentality. You just got to keep going at it. Is that easier said than done when you're the quarterback and a lot of the focus is on you? And just, you know, again, I'm sure DeWan would say himself, there are things that I have to do better, but he wasn't getting a whole lot of help from his line and everything's crumbling around you. How do you put that type of game behind you where it's just, it's just when it rains, a porous type of situation? Yeah, it's difficult, man. I mean, it really is. It's like, I would always say to myself, move the chains. All you have to do is get first downs, complete the, just complete the next ball. I mean, you hope that the, that the coach's staff puts you in a position to be successful like I talked about earlier. But, I mean, as you hand that ball off and it's negative two and it's second and 12, and then, you know, they're calling a, a pass player. There's another play at second and third and four. And once you get to third and 14, it's like, okay, here come the dogs. and You're going to have to force the ball down the field to try to, you know, get a couple points back on the board. It's tough mentally. But, again, the, the more the kids only played three and a half games. So it's like, hey, when it was 52 to two or whatever the case may be, it's like, how are you going to find ways to keep your players motivated? Um, you know, how are you going to make sure that the guys know that, hey, we might be struggling right now, but this isn't going to be the way it is next week or this bye week we're going to get right. So it's like when he's on the sidelines, and you know, he might be getting their butts whooped and you might be feeling down, but it's like how can you motivate your players? How can you keep their heads up? How can you say, hey, like you just said, I mean, next play mentality, so to speak. I'm sure that a lot of that was going on the sidelines. It's difficult being in that position at quarterback because – um, you know, like you said, a lot of people, their eyes are just on you. It's like, okay, well, he didn't take that pass. And, you know, you don't know what happened with the 10 other guys around you. And, you know, you're getting a ton of blame. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, when you win, you know, I know the quarterback's the guy that's getting all the, the praise. So, I mean, you take the good with the bad, and hopefully the bad's not, you know, too, too bad. I should, I mean, an easy way to put it. Um, but I think he's doing a good job. Again, I'm not there. But I'm really anxious to see him this week playing against a guy, a USF team who, you know, has lost to some really good football teams, um, you know, out of conference. So it'll be, I'll be anxious to see him play. Just real quick to, to, to wrap things up here, looking at the defensive side of the ball. Again, there's not much good that comes out of losing 52 to three. If you take a, a, a kind of a more of a, a longer view of things, uh, obviously the fans want to know, you know, what's going on with guys coming and leaving from the program with the portal. You lose some good guys, you gain some good guys. It looks that again, they're three and three. There's a lot of football left to be played, but on the whole guys like Cameron Ruiz and Keyshawn Paul have been good for, for the secondary. Now, Manny Walker seems to be coming around again. We're talking about this after a blowout loss. So I'm not trying to, to paint a, a rosy picture here and saying that these guys have been perfect, but you can start to see Manny Walker, um, you know, taking shape. Of course, Dewan Mathis, one of those guys that came in in the portal. But if you if you look at that defense uh, and Jeff Knowles' scheme, you know, with the exception of with the exception of the Cincy game, it had been a pretty good secondary. And now they're, they're going to be without Amir Tyler for a couple of weeks. It looks like he had some sort of, you know, whatever he put out on social media, like some sort of hand surgery, MJ Griffin starting to come along and um, you know, you, you've got to shore things up in that secondary there, but for the most part, the secondary has gotten better. You've Andy Rigby looks like he's starting to come around and, and they like the competition there, whether it's with him, Jordan McGee, what are your impressions of the, the defense? Obviously, you know, they did nothing went wrong last week you know, or almost two weeks ago at this point. But you look at that defense as a whole, what have you seen from them in the first six games? Yeah, I know. Um, again, as I looked at some statistics, I'm like, all right, total defense, these guys are 51st in the nation. And then as you look at the, the, the opposite, it's like scoring defense, we're 110. So we're giving up a few too many points. But I always would, you know, as I, you know, I spent some time with Phil Snow, it's like they, those guys wanted to see, even when things were bad, when you pause the film and someone's getting tackled, you want to see 11 guys in that screen on film. If the defense is playing hard and guys are in their gaps, and I know, again, I spent some time with Coach Stewart and Coach Rice and Coach Yelk and those guys, and they're getting coached really hard, um, you know, extremely hard, and they're getting coached the right way. So when you're, I guess, you know, best players are playing really well, you're talking about Keyshawn and Cam and, you know, Will Rogers and um, Manny Walker. If your best players are playing well, things are going to go well for you, at least statistically speaking, or, you know, when you see the guys out there. So, Again, there's some young athletic guys in the McGee's of the world. And like you mentioned, Rigby's, 
Um, and then you're talking about in the secondary, you're going to need somebody to step in for Amir. I mean, MJ's, I know, I see a lot of statistics with MJ and how many tackles he has you know, all over the Twitter world and videos of him. So it's interesting. it'll be interesting to see who steps up these, these next six weeks. Um, but again, I mean, if we can stop them from scoring touchdowns and hold to field goals, that's a big deal for us. But it's good to see guys playing extremely hard football um, on the defense side of the ball. That's, again, I don't know necessarily the schemes and whatnot and how they're going about it. But when you see the guys playing hard and playing to the whistle and being physical and, you know, running to the football. And, again, like I said, when you see 11 guys, when you pause that, it's almost getting tackled. You see 11 guys on the screen. That's when you know things are going right on the defense side of the ball. All right, I got one more question for you. On both sides of the ball, give me one guy on offense and one guy on defense who you're maybe looking forward to see a little bit more out of or maybe a guy on each side of the ball, maybe beyond the obvious names that maybe could be an X factor on either mm-hmm. side of the ball that yeah, could help this um, team get to six wins and get to a bowl game and salvage something out of this season. Let me see. I mean, I, I would have, uh, if, if this will sound like I'm, uh, I'm cheating a little bit, but I would have said Ahmad Anderson mm-hmm. before this, um, but he'd still be one. But i like to see Eddie Sadie get back on track. I know he had some success early on and then you know, Kyle came in and then, you know, Tavon's running around. They got four or five guys running the football, which is really cool. Um, but I think Eddie could be that workhorse and that guy that carries, carries the ball a lot more. So it'd be interesting to see if he takes that next step, um, whether it's this week, USF, or whoever that is, that running back room right. would be the guy that I'm looking forward to, to, to doing something like that on, on offense. Um, defensively, let me see. I mean, I know Vondi and Quantel have been battling. Quinku's been playing good. Mm. I could say I could say Will Rogers. I mean, I was looking through some sack numbers. I don't know if you have it in front of you on who leads the team in sacks. I think both of our both of our linebackers. I think Quinku and Rigby both might have three or yeah. something along those lines. So you know, you're hoping that one of those defensive ends keeps causing a little bit of havoc. And, you know, when your guys are rushing the passer at a high level, defensive backs, obviously, jobs a little easier, as you guys all know that. Mm-hmm. So if you can get the other two defensive ends and then even the guys backing them up, with, you know, Leighton Jordan or whoever's rushing the passer, uh, one of those, you know, any one of the defensive ends, those guys can, can get after the quarterback a little bit, put, you know, make the job on their defensive secondary a little easier. That'll be exciting for us. And, you know, I think a lot of things will go our way. All right, well, that'll do it for this week. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this first episode, a lot of great stuff from Adam about his story and some insight into the team. Again, we're looking forward to having a lot of fun with this podcast. We'll get some guests on in the future. Obviously, uh, you know, we got six games left here with out of this Temple football game. Like I said a few minutes ago, we'll see if they can um, get things going in the right direction, get to six wins, and maybe, you know, after going eight and five and Rod Carey's first season and then last season going one and six in a COVID-riddled and injury-riddled season, seeing if they can bounce back and uh, get back in the win column against a uh, uh, USF team that they should be able to beat. We'll talk to you next week about that game, get you more insight from Adam, and uh, thanks for sticking with us this week, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.